This is Tech Refactor Double Plus, where we have deep dive discussions that get into the details with researchers working on the front lines of technology policy. I'm your host, Gus Hurwitz, the Menard Director of the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center at the University of Nebraska. The Rural Digital Divide, which refers to the challenges of connecting everyone in rural America to the internet and the opportunities that it affords, is one of the most pressing and difficult to solve public policy issues in America today. Our center's ongoing work brings together experts from around the country who have been involved in digital divide policy to discuss the challenges and potential solutions to this problem. Last spring, we supported several research projects conducted by academics active in this area of research. Presentation of these projects was ultimately delayed by COVID-19, so instead of the roundtable discussions that we had planned to hold together in person last April, we met virtually this October to discuss this research. That discussion has been cut down for this podcast and will be presented in a series of episodes over the coming weeks as part of the Tech Refactored Double Plus series. These episodes will include short presentations from the authors and Q&A from other project researchers. First, we asked all of our authors to pre-record a short discussion of their research that could be shared with all the roundtable participants before they came together in October. We will start this episode by sharing the presentation recorded by Sarah O, oh, discussing her paper on the economic effects of municipal broadband. Sarah O, and I'm a senior fellow at the Technology Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. The paper I'm presenting today is called, What are the Economic Effects of Municipal Broadband? The question I ask is, do municipal broadband networks increase broadband adoption and create jobs? The tricky thing about answering this empirical question, if municipal broadband has an economic effect, is that every town and city has empirical variation on their underlying economic um, demographics and um, just uptake levels, demand for broadband. The endogeneity question that my paper um, uses methods to deal with is, well, broadband accessibility increases in towns that are growing already. So I want to make sure that when I'm looking for effects of a municipal broadband network, I'm actually measuring the effect of the network um, presence, not the underlying conditions of the town. To conduct this study, I collected a list of all the municipal broadband providers listed um, by a group called um, the Institute for Self-Reliance and the Broadband Communities Magazine. In those lists, there are municipal broadband networks listed. Um, and so I, I looked at that group of um, municipalities with networks. And then I went over to the FCC 77 data set, which is a data set of um, self-reported broadband deployment figures from broadband networks. Well, 71 municipal providers submitted their FCC um, data. Out of 500 or so listed, um, you see about, I've found 70 of them 
that reported their deployment data. Example of one larger municipality um, is the EPB fiber optics um, network in Tennessee, um, which is a quite large fiber um, and overbuild project that was started in 2007. And so um, using this FCC data, um, I run a study to see, well, um, you know, what are the effects of that network in that town? on um, adoption, controlling for demographics like age um, and and other other, um, control variables. One unique element of my paper is um, that I use an instrumental variable in the Cook's Partisan Voting Index. I look at left-leaning towns and right-leaning towns and um, using that variable, I ask, um, I use a method to, to um, be able to uptake that's not affected by partisanship. So the idea is a left-leaning town might be more inclined to build municipal broadband because they like public provision. Right-leaning town might disfavor public um, broadband. Um, And using this instrumental variable, um, I run a two-stage least squares model, and I don't find um, an effect of the presence of a municipal network on outcomes such as broadband adoption, um, job growth. Um, And so my, my, my all finding, my zero, my no results finding, I can't reject my null hypothesis that there is an effect, um, which journals have told me, you know, you need to find an effect in order to publish. But I think it's look for an effect of municipal broadband on outcomes in towns. And using as much data as I could find, um, I try and do that. We'll start with a question submitted from Brian Whitaker that I can ask on his behalf. Prior research on this topic found that municipal broadband can lead to more businesses being established and increased local government employment. Do you find that these are uh, viable outcome variables to consider in your work? Yeah, I really appreciated that you pointed me to that Mercatus paper, and I hadn't seen it. So then I read it. I was like, oh, it's really similar to my question, um, and so I should cite it. And in that paper, Brian uses a difference and differences approach and he looks within cities over time. And a few commenters had told me that that is a good idea for my study. Towns, you know, implemented their broadband networks at different years. And so you want to also have the, the age of the network as part of the analysis, like a network that's been in place for five or 10 years probably has a bigger effect than one that was just installed a few years ago. And my study doesn't include, you know, the age of, of the network as well as that study does. What's different about my paper compared to that difference in differences approach is that I'm looking across towns. So I'm, I'm trying to match similar looking towns with other towns, one with a network and one without. And so it's an, another way to slice and dice the question 
to see if a municipal network is generalizably positive for economic effects and and not just on a case by case basis like if it's good for one town um within the town you know it could be many factors that cause a municipal network to be successful in that particular town and that's closer to like a a cherry picking case study analysis my study is attempting to look at a universal set of all the um cases that we could find and then and look for a signal in the noise thanks yeah so my question related to the limited observations uh in your regression analysis um i was just curious uh you start with about 500 municipal broadband providers but just looking at the 477 data, you only find 71 that actually filed. So I was just curious, like, why there's such a low yield for, for that data. Yes, I agree, too. I expected to find more um, municipal broadband self-reported data reports in the Form 77 data. And I spent a long time looking through um, a few years' worth of data, about five years. I loaded it into Google BigQuery, and then I did all these searches for the names of the cities, the towns. And then sometimes municipal broadband networks have, like, special names that they name their networks. And so I looked those up, too. Um, and I couldn't find, you know, more than 71 of them. So I have some kind of, I have some hypotheses that because Form 77 data is self-reported voluntary, maybe smaller localities don't have the overhead budget to file those forms. Maybe they don't know they need to. Or maybe like maybe a lot of those networks aren't really serving many customers. Um, maybe they don't really have a lot of subscription or deployment data. So that's a good question. And 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 if the regulatory burden of filing these reports is too high, then you know maybe there that's an argument for scale economies that it's better for a private provider to handle that regulatory burden and not a small locality. Um, it's a good question. Um, I don't know. So our, our next uh, question is to Tim, uh, Tim Obermeyer. Uh, I uh, would uh, be interested to know, uh, Tim, in addition to uh, your question for Sarah, I have a question for you relating to Sarah's work. And this is something that uh, I, I might also be able to help coordinate. Um, do you think it would be based on Sarah's answer that she just gave? Uh, do you think how, how do you think uh, the regional ISPs here in Nebraska uh, would respond to the Form 477 overhead question. And uh, Sarah, I'd be happy to put you in touch with uh, any number of uh, local ISPs uh, here in Nebraska, in Iowa, if you want to talk to them about how uh, the overhead cost of uh, reporting uh, affects the reporting of Form 477, uh, which could help you to uh, suss out what those effects are. Certainly the the selection effects on self-reported data, I, I would be curious to know what effects they have on the results that you're seeing. But uh, Tim, I know you have a question, and then I have uh, a, a follow-up question of my own from uh, Brent Scora. Very good. Sarah, thank you for your fine work. I, I really enjoyed reading your paper. And this this may be outside of the purview of your paper, but I'm just curious uh, what you, you may have found in regards to uh, employment in underserved or unserved areas compared to employment in areas with adequate or growing broadband services. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a very important question. Um, and I would like to test that hypothesis in a different paper. And I think there are papers that have looked at employment and broadband relationships. One of the questions that's interesting right now, too, is how much speed do you need to get that boost in productivity? And so it's a little different from your quote, but it's similar. It's like underserved versus unserved. Do you need, where do you get the biggest bang for your buck going from zero to 10 megabits per second, 10 to 25 megabits per second? or um, 100 megabits per second, and what are the effects of speed on outcomes. And the policy debate around universal service is pretty much, a lot of it is that question. Um, and I think you're gonna get diminishing marginal returns from speed increases. Um, you're gonna probably, and there are papers on this, I should know the literature better, but you're probably gonna get the biggest bang for your buck getting from zero to 10 or zero to 25, then 25 to 100. And then you get into the digital divide question, even if there's 25 people connecting to it. You know, I think these are all really good questions for for broadband deployment studies. Okay, and uh, I see uh, uh, Brian makes uh, the really important uh, observation, and this could be a fascinating follow-up uh, research question, um, always worth highlighting. Uh, since ISPs are required to uh, file Form 477 data, of course, hopefully we're transitioning towards something better than Form 477 uh, in the uh, uh, near future, but uh, that's an ongoing uh, effort. Where is the data? Why were you able to find so few uh, Form 477 filings, given that everyone should be filing it? I see uh, Matt Larson. Th this is kind of a, a hybrid now, uh, a radio call-in show uh, and roundtable with the comments coming in. Uh, Matt Larson notes uh, that many uh, municipal providers uh, don't sell uh, directly to users and some data from Port would be reported by ISPs that use the Muni networks for selling services. Matt, do you uh, want to jump in with uh, any thoughts on that? Sure. So, like in Ammon, Idaho, there are multiple providers that uh, sell service because their network is open access. So, the 477 data would actually come from those providers. But in the case, like, for example, there's a wireless ISP there that has their own customers on their own facilities, and then they also have customers on the Ammon fiber network. So it would be kind of hard to like make a delineation between the two. With regard to the 477 reporting, uh, especially smaller ISPs find it to be a fairly substantial regulatory burden. Uh, I, I will admit I've struggled with it at times. It uh, it can be a little tough. So that's why I think I, I think you are onto something where some places may not have been filing it. But I'm also hopeful that the new reporting mechanisms they've been talking about, the Broadband Data Act will be a little bit more universally accessible and easier to, to report this data. Okay, uh, we had a question from uh, Brent Scorp as well. He let me know uh, Brent will be joining us uh, uh, shortly, but isn't here in person right now. But he asks whether your results uh, suggest some crowding out, crowding out effect on private providers um, and uh, whether uh, municipal providers are simply providing a similar service at similar rates as private providers. Uh, and that's why we don't see uh, any economic effects. Yeah, that's a really good question about competition. You know, part of the theory behind municipal broadband is that 
you can add another competitor and then prices will go down or, you know, subscriptions will go up because prices are lower. Um, and one of the commenters of my paper suggested that I should be using price data as well to see um, effects. You know, there are one price data is really hard to get that that's good price data and two i also would need to know subscription rates for the municipal networks how many subscribers they have and at what speeds and at what price bundle um which is like a whole nother dimension of um data collection um you know there are a lot of open questions um and in the list of municipal networks in the magazine most of them are overbuild projects. Some are replacement, some are greenfield, but a lot of them are um, overbuild, which I think means um, like duplicative or a competitive, competitive, another line. Um, so it's a, it's a good question. Um, and I'd like to, I'd like to look at that further. So I, I expect that you don't have this in your data, but I'd be interested to hear if you do or others who might be familiar with this. Um, is there a difference in uh, uh, the services that municipal versus uh, private ISPs offer, especially to business customers? I know business lines are often, uh, business customers are more often going to be uh, subject to non-tariffed rates or individualized negotiations for service. And I wonder whether municipal providers are more or less willing to engage in individualized negotiations to provide service and how that might affect, uh, especially on the business adoption side. Uh, do you, Sarah, in your data, your experience, see anything interesting with that? Or do others have thoughts on whether there's any there there? Um, that would be something I would like to learn more about. In the appendix of my paper, um, I list the municipal networks in my study, and a lot of them are business lines. Um, and what's listed is their proposed build out, and they say, you know, this is for business, or we're looking to connect 10,000 subscribers, etc. Um, so I actually don't know a lot about the kind of business clients they're offering. Okay. Any final questions or additional questions for Sarah? So David notes, uh, just in uh, follow-up to this point, that uh, uh, commercial and government users are often anchor institutions. I, I assume that you mean by that, David, for uh, municipal providers. Yeah. Um, so that's going to affect their approach to uh, their business plan and possibly the effects that we would see in a given community. I, I know uh, statewide here in Nebraska, this is part of the discussion about municipal uh, providers. Uh, the Nebraska Public Power District has long been discussing and interested in providing uh, service, and they are a important customer of broadband right now. Um, so uh, as they could get into uh, the market, that would certainly affect uh, that would affect the market. Okay, uh, Sarah, thank you. Uh, one of our goals with uh, these papers is to really focus on the empirics. And uh, I, I love the instrumental variable approach that uh, your paper took and trying to suss out different communities of users and how those different communities of users uptakes uh, might 
uh, what different communities of users' uptakes might tell us about the market. Uh, I, I think this is a, a great paper and a great start to our discussion. I'm Gus Hurwitz, and I've been your host for this episode of Tech Refactor Double Plus. If you want to learn more about what we're doing here at the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center, you can go to our website at ngtc.unl.edu, or you can follow us on Twitter at UNL underscore NGTC. You can listen to or download our podcast on our website, and also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. This podcast is part of the Menard Governance and Technology Programming Series, hosted by the Nebraska Governance and Technology Center. The Nebraska Governance and Technology Center is a partnership led by the Nebraska College of Law in collaboration with the Colleges of Engineering, Business, and Journalism and Mass Communications at the University of Nebraska. Colin McCarthy produced and recorded our theme music. Casey Richter provided technical assistance and advice. Elspeth Magilton is our executive producer, and Lysandra Marquez is our associate producer. Till we talk again, keep those municipal regressions running.